Hello, everybody. I'm Clay Brace, and it's showtime here again in Berks County every Saturday afternoon right here, as we are today, Saturday afternoon right here on AM Radio 1180 WFYL. We're here at 1 p.m. every Saturday to hear this thoughtful discussion uh, located here in the uh, land of reality here, uh, at the oasis of truth here, folks. We're here sounding the alarm because we've got knucklehead communists out there declaring all kinds of problems and lies and all kinds of propaganda. And we're going to set the record straight here on our show. We're back with Annette Baker. She's our environmental science expert and homeschool teacher. Welcome back to the show, Annette. Thanks so much. Annette, I wanted to talk a little bit about the antitrust. Why don't you explain to our listeners what antitrust is? Because right now, uh, there's uh, there's an effort to launch an, 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 anti, an antitrust investigation against the ESG, that's Environmental, Social, and Governance Policies. And why are they doing that in that? Why don't you explain a little bit from that? Wow, boy, that's a, <laughs> that's a lot to get into. How long do we have tonight? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a complicated issue because uh, when you start talking about antitrust laws, and this is something that I'm, I'm not overly familiar with either, but I've, I've done a little bit of reading on it. And you did and, stay at Holiday uh, Inn Express once, didn't you? I did. I did. Okay. So <laughs> so I can, I'm a drive through. Yes. Um, <laughs> so basically, antitrust laws are, are in, in place um, to make sure that businesses are not um, capitalizing on uh, taking their competitors out of out of business so that they can have a monopoly. And the idea with antitrust laws is to make sure that uh, there's competition. And um, one of the things that makes this such an interesting idea to begin looking at um, these green policies as antitrust violations um, is because uh, basically what they're doing is they're forcing people to um, be required to do certain things in order to meet the requirements that they artificially in place or put in place through government edict, um, and this is the this is the part that that most people um, haven't really understood yet as to what's going to happen with energy prices. Energy prices are going to skyrocket because when you start forcing people to make um, choices on how they get their energy provided to them based on limiting the number of options. It's kind of like what they used to do in, in communist Russia in, <laughs> in the Soviet Union. Hi, yes, you want to buy a car? Here, come look at our model car. <laughs> the one car to pick. You know, obviously that's that's probably an oversimplification, but probably not far off. I think there were two. Um, and, and that's kind of the same idea is, hi, you want you want a choice, you have two choices or you have one choice. And this is, they're going to tell you what you're going to pay. And we already see some of that to some degree because there are certain areas. If you've ever researched cable or internet service, you quickly realize that your area typically in Pennsylvania has one provider or used to have primarily one provider. Now they've branched out and there's more, but in, in a lot of areas, you might only have one provider, and they're it. And if their service is horrible, uh, you're you're kind of stuck unless you can find an alternative, like you know, using a, a 
uh, Wi-Fi service that that is uh, accessible some other way. So it's uh, it's definitely a complicated issue, and it, it's going to drive energy costs through the roof because we we'll, we will be paying for carbon offsets, and and we've talked about the carbon offset program a long time ago. Um, Governor Wolf entered us into what they call REGI. It's a re- regional greenhouse gas initiative, which basically says Pennsylvania is going to offset their um, carbon footprint uh, with paying either extra taxes, which they then levy on the uh, energy supply industry, which is, you know, your gas and your coal and your and your um, wind or solar, whatever it might be. They all get rated on on uh, basically how how bad they are for the environment, and then those those businesses that own those those uh, plants then have to pay a penalty for whatever amount of in excess of a certain tonnage of uh, CO two that they put in the air. So um, the the company to stay afloat and and this is where economics comes in uh in a in our society our our basic reason for having businesses and 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 owning companies is to make profit and um stop are you serious i know it's shocking wow it's it's Profit is a good thing, is what you're saying, right? Profit is a good thing. Well, you know, and that's where it's like, well, it depends on who you ask, obviously. I mean, we've had that discussion before, too, about how, you know. You're saying people pursuing environmental, social, and governance policies, they're not pursuing profit. They're pursuing ineffective, inefficient energy. Is this their religion? And that why are they pushing this? I mean, they're wanting to inject religion in the workplace they want to basically combine uh, church and state am i am i seeing this like you are oh absolutely i think it definitely has uh for for many folks become a religion and i mean we've talked about this before from a biblical perspective we as christians have uh, a requirement i don't believe that it's a a, a Kind of something that we can choose. I believe that the Bible is very clear that we are to be stewards of the earth. In Genesis, it talks about the hierarchy of of human beings taking care of nurturing. The the idea there is to actually, um, it it talks about in the terms of husbandry, the idea of farming um, and having a little kind of a little farm at myself. You know, I've gotten a, a much better understanding of what that means, but I've always been environmentally um, conscious in terms of, of stewardship. I believe that that is something that we are mandated to do, that we are mandated to take care of what we've been given, to, to nurture it, to use it the way God gave it to us to be used. I believe that, yes, he created, you know, the gas in the ground. He created the oil in the ground. He created all of that knowing that we would need those resources. And because he did that, that gives us the opportunity to take care of people, to do things that spread the gospel, number one. I mean, that's that's one of our main uh, goals and, and should be one of our main goals is to spread the gospel around the world and having those energy resources and being warm, being able to do things like 
not worry about, you know, finding food every day by going out and hunting and gathering and, you know, working in the fields all day long. And that's our primary resource um, for food. And, you know, we can go to a supermarket, we can go to a farmer's market. That gives us freedom of, of time that then can be devoted to other things like spreading the gospel and talking to people and, and you know, um, worship and things like that, that God provides all of that for us. And that's where I think some people have gotten completely out of, out of uh, alignment with where God wants us to be with that. He doesn't want us to worship the creator or the created. He wants us to worship the creator, God himself. So he doesn't want us to, to, you know, sacrifice human beings to save the planet, but he does want us to take good care of what he's given us. And I think that's where so many folks have gotten out of, out of whack with, with the idea of, of putting um, our environment above human beings. And, well, we were and asked, that's something. If you look at, if you look at, if you look at Genesis, God taught, taught, basically commanded man to subdue the world. We, we were we were created and we were created to be in charge of the world, if you will, and to subdue the world. I mean, th- think about it like this. OK, but, you know, of course, because of the because of the curse of sin, we were then cast into a world that we had to subdue it. I mean, the Garden of Eden was not that way. Uh, the Garden of Eden, everything was prepared and pl- everything was there and, and everything was for the for the living and the having. Well, all that changed. And then we were cast in and basically we were called upon to, you know, create a living with the thorns and the the thistles, if you will. And that was subdued the world. I mean, think about it. I don't want to be in a world today. I mean, imagine going to a forest, a forest, and you had to subdue it just to, to, to be there. You have to have a place prepared to where you can lay your head down at night. You got to create a fire. You got to hunt. You got to cook. You got to find water. You got to prepare. You got to make sure the water is drinkable. You know, there's all kinds of things you have to do to subdue the environment. We've subdued the world. And think about it this way. The countries on planet Earth that have not subdued the world, okay, the ones that aren't living in prosperity are the ones that haven't subdued the world. Think about that. And so, you know, whatever the case is, it's interesting. They're trying to say we damaged our planet with, a, you know, with, with uh, too much CO2. Annette, you're you're an environmental science expert. You do know that the oceans produce the CO2 on the planet, right? (laughs) Yeah, well, actually, they're they're a huge CO2 sink. They actually absorb CO2, um, and it's converted into food because of seaweed and things like that. It converts uh, that stuff. So, um, and, And it's amazing when you look at the balance of the Earth, and, and that's where you know, I, I talk to people all the time about the idea of stewardship, that we are to be living on the planet and taking care of it um, because it is there to nurture us and we need to nurture it. One of the things that I heard in a TV show that I watch quite often, um, one of the main main people in the, in the show, it's a docu, docu-series. It's the Muppets. Uh, she said, the Muppets is no. what she was talking about. <laughs> no, it's actually called Homesteading, uh. Homestead Rescue. And uh, I like it because it, it, it's a family who, um, the, the dad grew up in um, Alaska off-grid. So he learned very quickly as a kid, you know, how do you survive without electricity and water and all that? You have to 
get those resources for yourself. You have to find a way to make sure your pump doesn't freeze in the winter. You have to make sure that you have electricity, you have firewood, you have, you know, all of those things, the real, um, you know, you think back to the turn of the century when, when people were coming here to this country. I mean, even when the pilgrims landed in the first, you know, the first explorers here, um, you know, they walked into a situation where they had to literally start from scratch. Um, and, and the idea is, you know, one of the, one of his kids who works with him on this show, Misty said, you know, in homesteading, you get out of it what you put into it. And I think that's a really good way to look at how we're supposed to steward the earth. We get out of it what we put into it. If we pollute it, if we mistreat it, we will get an increase in illness, you know, not having enough food, all of those kinds of negative things. You know, it's, it goes back to God's uh, law of reaping and sowing. You reap what you sow. If you sow good things, you reap good things. If you sow evil, you sow bad things, you're going to reap bad things. So it's it, it falls in line with that principle. So if we... Like you said, you know, in in the Garden of Eden, they were there to tend and take care of it. And then when sin entered, you're absolutely right. The the thistles and the hard part of of working the ground to provide, you know, sustenance, it became harder because of sin. And unfortunately, what we're seeing now is the idea that man is evil for being on the planet. We destroy it. We're destroying the planet. So we need to decrease the number of people on the planet. There's actually people that are advocating for population decrease, population control, reducing the number of people on the planet because their belief system is, is that um, there's limited resources. And because those resources are even more limited than what they were before, we need to be very serious about reducing the population. Well, I don't know about you, but when I hear about reducing the population, it's not they're not talking about birth control. They're not talking about anything else. Abortion plays into that, actually. So to do a lot of other things. And controlling energy, controlling the ability to produce food, controlling the ability to keep people warm look you know europe is is already starting to experience energy shortages now they've been thankful already that they haven't had rolling black brownouts and blackouts yet but i've already seen interviews of people from europe who are saying i keep my house at 60 degrees because i can't buy any more gas so I have to I have to keep things cold because I can't afford it. That's so, the kind of thing where human suffering takes precedence over taking care of people. And and that's where the green energy movement, this antitrust thing falls all together into this whole thing when you force people to use green energy sources that are not able to keep up with supply, with demand, and you shorten supply, that's where you get inflation because inflation is a direct result 
of, you know, short supply, not having enough and having a high demand. So prices escalate because people will have to pay more. They'll pay more. They're willing to pay more if, if then they'll pay up to a certain point. And then at that point, they'll either do without or um, it'll become so expensive that only the very elite will be able to afford things. And honestly, that's kind of where, you know, sadly, I think some of this goes. There's good reasons to use some types of green energy where it makes sense. But to say that we are going to artificially impose a deadline and say, okay, we're going to end fossil fuels by 2035 or whatever. It might, I think it's actually 2025. Uh, in some cases, they were talking about switching away from fossil fuels in three years. We don't have the technology yet. Now, the exciting thing is, is there was uh, an announcement recently where they were talking about the possibility of a cold fusion um, generator, which is basically using uh, ener like nuclear energy uh, that does not produce the, the waste that typical nuclear energy produces. So, um, you know, there's some exciting things that are happening in science that could advance us. I mean, it could leap us right over the green energy uh, push altogether if, if that is successful. But that's five or six years down the road, maybe more, maybe less. It's, it's kind of hard to say because they just had, you know, the first actual experiment where they were able to put energy into a machine. Uh, and that's kind of simplifying it, but putting energy into a device that then produced more energy um, and, and it was, I mean, it's, it's an exciting, exciting idea and exciting proposition that if that does work, I mean, it, it would be, it would revolutionize the world. It, it would really, truly change the way we look at everything and the way that things are, are put together, which at this point, if they're, if they're focusing on, you know, just on green energy, um, we're not going to have enough at, at, in the deadlines that they're artificially imposing at this well, point. I, I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, about the religious aspect of their energy uh, 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 philosophical, I think it's a theological viewpoint. Uh, the Druids uh, actually, uh, in old England, before the Romans got into the Druids, actually performed uh, some sort of a, a, a human sacrifices. And of course, and of course, we know the Aztecs did some of those uh, ancient uh, Aztec uh, cultures and Inca cultures. They did as well. And I think what's interesting is they 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 sacrificed the people. They sacrificed people to, to their gods, their phony fake gods. Well, today you've got these people sacrificing, like you said, uh, warm houses in the summer in the in the winter and cold cooler houses in the summer. They're sacrificing comfortable living. And and effective travel, effective effective efficient travel, uh, they're they're sacrificing that to their God, and this is what's really amazing to me. We see this as Christians, but it's really a really it's apparent when you've got people that don't want to explain the the uh, the actual objective perspectives that electric cars can't travel very far, electric cars can't heat their can't heat their cabs up very well with their 
their passengers because what do they heat them up with? And of course, whatever they're using is going to kill the battery anyway. I mean, nobody wants to be stuck in an electric car in a snow-filled highway. Okay, I mean, when, when you're on a snow-filled highway and you get, if you ever got stuck on on Highway 78 in the middle of the winter, you'd know what I was talking about. When you're stuck out there in a blizzard for whatever six or ten hours, and you know the only thing you got is a, is a, you know your three quarters of a tank of gas. You're thankful to God you have. It was you wouldn't want to be in an electric car with a charge, wondering what's going to happen. Think about it, folks. I mean, you know, if you're stuck somewhere in electric on a rainstorm or in a winter day on some freeway somewhere, you're gonna you're gonna wish you had a three quarter of a tank of gas to get you through that, so you can run your heater and stay alive versus an electric car, wondering if the charge is going to hold up. But this is the this is the god they worship in that, and this is what they are willing to sacrifice for. And so when we call it a religion, we're doing it because we understand that these people are making personal sacrifices like they would with their own their own children. And that, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I would go so far as to say that it's not even so much their own personal. They're willing to sacrifice your children, my children, anybody else's children for their theology, for their mindset, for yep. their ideology. And it's okay if our kids have to suffer if somebody, if you know, they may even say it's okay if their own kids suffer. Um, but they, the interesting thing is, the people that are leaders in this movement are the very same people that will fly on private jets. They will drive in SUVs. They, but then they will malign those of us that do this, that you know, have a larger vehicle. I can remember some people getting upset with me because I had a suburban at one point. And they were like, well, you don't need such a big vehicle. And I'm like, who are you to decide what I need? Yes. You don't know my life. You don't know what I do. You don't know that I use my Suburban for a number of things. And that's the part that, you know, when when we switch to a point, and this is what people have to understand, the United States, and I believe the church, um, universal church, not any particular denomination or any particular church, but as Christians, we need to wake up. This is a clarion call. We need to wake up and get engaged because what's happening right now is we are seeing um, society changing and we are not driving the culture as a, as a belief system. As Christians, we're letting culture drive our our church. They're letting we're letting it drive our theology, our ideology, our activity, and that is not what we should be doing. We should be out there pushing society in a direction where people are respected. We do respect the environment, but we're not going to sacrifice our children or anybody else's children to protect it. Because our children are precious and given to us by God, and we need to protect them. Um, you know, and this is the situation that, that honestly, I've been reading a book by Eric Metaxas, um, a letter to, to the American church, and he has sounded the clearing call and said, look, we are, we are following in the footsteps of the church of Nazi Germany that was quiet because they well you know that's not that's not our realm 
all we're supposed to do is spread the gospel. We're not supposed to engage in government. We're not supposed to engage in politics. We're supposed to be apolitical. Give Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Right. And Metaxas makes a he makes a lot of really good points in this book that basically says Eric bon, or Dietrich Bonhoeffer didn't believe that and died because he stood up for what was right. And we as the church universal in this country, we as Christians need to understand it's our job to lead. When we know truth, we need to be out there talking about it, showing people and leading the way. My mantra has become lead follower, get out of the way. <laughs> because at this point, it's like you're either going to lead you're going to follow or we're going to have to go over you because wow. we are at the point in this country where we are going to lose the freedoms that we have. There was an act that was just signed into law, the uh, Marriage Act. And one of the main concerns in that particular bill uh, that now has become law is the fact that the right to practice your religious beliefs and say, I do not believe that marriage is biblically, biblical marriage is not between two men, two women, three guys, two girls, whatever you want to put in there. It is between a man and a woman and it is consecrated by God and that's it. Many people have raised concerns that churches, individuals who speak out and say, we don't believe in non-traditional marriage. There are no provisions to protect that freedom of speech anymore. Well, one thing is for sure, Annette, we have to leave it there. Thanks all of our listeners for being with us today and taking the time to be with us today and spending your Saturday afternoon right here with us on AM Radio 1180 WFYL on our show, The Watchman. Thanks for being with us today. See you next week on The Watchman. For Annette Baker, I'm Clay Brees. Goodbye for now.